Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether they're our corner stores, our coffee spots, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders. They call us by name, always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. This is the Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Welcome to the Football GM Podcast, coming out of week two, charging towards week three. Mike Sando here, senior writer from The Athletic, at Sando NFL with the GM, Randy Mueller, at Randy Mueller underscore Randy. How are you after that impressive backdoor cover that you called by the Miami <laughs> Dolphins? I was nervous, frankly, yeah. when you said that was the one game you were going to pick uh, the Dolphins to, to cover, and they did. So congrats to you. Yeah, that and 250 would get me a cup of coffee on the corner here in Seattle any day now. So happy to be back. Uh, hopefully we have a few listeners that have hung with us these first couple of weeks and look forward to adding a few more down the road here. Absolutely. We're going to pull up a chair at the bar here, you and me, and we're going to talk some football. We have some great topics today. Uh, just watching Sunday night, man, Russell Wilson, amazing. We're going to talk about how, what makes him great. We're going to compare him to Patrick Mahomes. I think you're going to love that. Uh, I let off my pick six column today with the Rams and the Eagles and who would you rather be. We're going to get into both teams uh, today. Joe Burrow, th- big game Thursday night. The Bengals, how's that all going to mesh together now that they may have a future elite quarterback? We'll hit on that. We will pick a couple games we like against the spread. We will have our Ask the GM segment. Thanks for submitting your questions there. But, Randy, let's just get right to the fun stuff. Let's get to Sunday night. It was a little weird watching with no fans at CenturyLink. That's a whole other story. I think Seattle's pass rush really is missing those fans. But Russell Wilson, man, what a sight to behold, huh? He was unbelievable. And we keep saying this week in and week out. Um, I I will say this. He is a documentary in how to evolve at a position because when this guy came to the league he wasn't nearly where he's at now and you almost have to go back and I compare uh, just the evolution of where he's come from to what I saw in Tom Brady early on as well and how he evolved over six or eight or ten years to become what he is and Russell Wilson's at a at a place now where it's almost like he's studying for a doctorate degree and everybody else is still in college trying to get the undergraduate degree. You know, that's, that's how I think of him right now. Hey, now I'm going to test you on this too. I want, I want your honest eval of him coming out because, and, I, and I'm going to go through, I got channels, I got sources, I can get the actual <laughs> report if I really want to. So, I mean, what did you see coming out? I'll be honest with you. When I saw him the first time I was at NC State and I wasn't there to see him. Obviously, he was an undergraduate at the time. And so I was looking at a couple other guys there and and I see this number 16 and, and that's what he wore back in those days. And and I remember, ah, he's not on my list. Okay, I, I see it. And then I said, ah, this guy's, I got to see what the deal is with this guy. So I look it up and it says 5'11", 198 pounds. And, I, and I, my shoulders just 
shrank. You know, I'm thinking, oh man, that now I get it. That's too bad because this guy's a heck of a player. He's doing all the things that the big boys are doing. And so I kind of put it out of my mind and, you know, nobody's out there looking for a under six foot quarterback that, yep. you know, uh, is going to be one that you set your whole franchise around. But even back in those days when he was making plays as an undergraduate, you couldn't help but just go, wow. I mean, if this guy was, I remember saying in the draft meetings, if this guy was 6'2", we'd be talking about him at the top of the first round. Yeah, And yeah. it's crazy and, and it's probably unfair as an evaluator to throw that out there. But, you know, it, it, it was just the size that had everybody bothered. And that's why they got him when they did. Absolutely. That's why they didn't take him earlier. If they yeah. knew he was going to become yep. this, I mean, look, they had signed Matt Flynn, right? Yeah. I mean, no doubt. they had signed yeah. Charlie Whitehurst. I mean, no, people can say they knew, but, but yeah, you don't, and, know. And, and maybe now in retrospect, um, you know, I remember his first camp too, just the whispers out of there. They're like, you know, they were like, holy, <laughs> we might have a guy here because you right. start seeing it in person, you know? Right. Um, but heck, after, after his first four games, there was talk here in Seattle of are they going to bench him? So it wasn't a gimme all the way. Credit to him, really right. a credit to him for being what he is. Is he better than Pat Mahomes? I mean, I, I would have said no this offseason coming in, but yeah, I might say yes. I mean, well, I, I don't know. If you go on these first two weeks, what he's shown, Mike, I don't think there's anything but historic proportions to compare it to. That's how good he's been. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's completed 83% of his passes. He's had 11 incompletions total in two weeks. He's had nine touchdowns. From a number standpoint, you see certain things. But when, when I put on the film, I even see more impressive things. I mean, when you compare him to Mahomes, I'll say this. Mahomes has more talent. He has a livelier arm. He has a little more size and a little more athleticism. But those are all traits that obviously you all look for, but then you've got to do something with them, which Pat has done. Obviously, he's a league MVP, <laughs> so I'm not slighting him at all. But when you consider the way he makes plays compared to the way Russell Wilson makes plays, Russell Wilson does it by being fundamentally sound. He has worked his way to where he's at. His footwork is refined and impeccable. His throws are more on time than any quarterback in the league. He still finds a way to manipulate coverages. And what I saw even going back the uh, last night, Mike, to look at the tape was he manipulates pass rush with his footwork in the pocket. I don't know if I've ever seen that. So he's playing at, like I said, a crazy level. How do you do that? I'm curious. So manipulate pass rush with your footwork. (laughs) What does that mean? Well, for example, you might remember the one play where he stepped up in the pocket inside the red zone and he threw a strike to a crossing receiver in the back of the end zone for a touchdown. Once his last foot hit the ground, he climbs up in the pocket. He sees where the rushers are coming from. He kind of Uh, positions his body to where he knows where a rusher is going to be and he kind of beats him to the spot and is able to kind of swing his hips around him, step up and then kind of semi-sprint to the right and throw a strike on the run that it it, it told me that he's manipulating coverage and pass rush all in the same down. It's like one of these uh, genius uh, coaches who I've had lucky enough to be around and watch film with once in a while, where when you put on the projector and the play starts and, and they go back two or three times and I'm looking at this or that, but all of a sudden they know where all 11 guys are. We've only went back and forth twice. You know, it's a different, it's a different mindset. It's a different vision. He sees the game right now slower uh, than anybody else. And that's a good thing because he's in fast motion himself, but the game around him is, it's like playing a video game and he has the cheat sheet. So he's basically now ascended to that level that Aaron Rodgers has been at, that Drew Brees has been at, the guys who are really manipulating all pieces on the board 
uh, at every play and anticipating and almost maybe even more in tune with it than than some of their coaches might be. <laughs> to me, he is. I think he sees this game, like I said, at a at a doctorate level. He's um, anticipating better than anybody I've seen since maybe Tom Brady was in his heyday. He anticipates where guys are coming open at. He still has patience. He still has a feel for what's going on uh, at the first level, but he's also like peaking at the second and third level as well. And some of this comes with he's now in the same system for several years. He's been under the same coach for really his whole career. And so he's able to not only not have to memorize offenses. I thought about when I studied him uh, this weekend, I thought about guys like Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield and some of these guys that have been through four or five systems already in their three or four years. There's no way they can develop as players. No way. Because they're always memorizing new playbooks and new concepts and all this. This guy's got all that down. Yeah. One of the reasons that hasn't happened in Seattle is partly because of Russell Wilson. I mean, that Pete Carroll was seven and nine twice, you know, right. <laughs> and, and he came in and stabilized it. But then he had a great team around him, too, on the defense. And he really he really rounded it out. The deep accuracy is something that I want to touch on, because like we're watching games yesterday and and, you know, uh, Josh Allen hit a couple deep balls for Buffalo. I looked it up and he he'd completed like 12 percent of his deep balls the last couple of years. I mean, uh, seven of 55 or something, right? Russell Wilson could be like those dude perfect guys who are throwing the ball off of the Grand Canyon or the Hoover Dam and it goes into a basketball hoop. He might just need one shot. I mean, who's a better deep ball thrower that you've evaluated? Well, none that are playing right now. He he brings back memories for me of Warren Moon, who we had here in Seattle and I was lucky enough to sign and be a part of. I thought Warren was the best deep ball thrower I'd ever been around. And this kid, uh, Wilson, is in the same mode right now. And you mentioned um, Josh Allen from Buffalo. I think the difference that sometimes goes a little bit undiscussed with deep ball throwers is it is about anticipation. And in Josh Allen, for example, his first two years in the league, he wasn't seeing things. He couldn't anticipate when guys were going to come open. So guess what? He's always throwing late. And you can't throw effectively deep late, if that makes any sense at all. You've got to throw it ahead of time. In the touchdown that Russell Wilson threw to DK Metcalf, where he kind of dropped it in, what I call dropping bombs down smokestacks. I mean, the angle that ball came down at was crazy. But the throw itself, when you watch it on tape, DK Metcalf was near the middle of the field when he kind of broke to the corner on that. The ball was in the air shortly after that break. I mean, DK Metcalf probably ran 20 yards and the ball was in the air. So that's how early Russell had to throw it. So that's what I'm saying. His anticipation is so good right now, and he knows exactly where his people are going to be. He's able to throw that ball early for a smaller guy and get it way out there. The ball only traveled like 58 yards or 60 yards, but you'd think it traveled 80. Only 58 or 60, yeah. Yeah, well, you think it traveled 80 the way it looked on, uh, on TV. You know, yeah, Kurt Warner but it was, was awesome. like that. Yeah, Kurt yeah, Warner Kurt was, Warner like was really like that. You're right. That is a great – he was the same way. Yep. So we might say Mahomes has a little bit more raw to work with, but the, just for, as a pro quarterback, Russell Wilson's a better pro quarterback right now. The thing that, that, that makes me say Mahomes has the higher upside is all that physical skill like you're talking about, the, the ability to throw the ball from any platform and any contortion of his body. You yeah. know, Russell can't do that. Russell's got to have his feet under him for the most part and do it, like I said, fundamentally correct. He just does that at a very high level. Pat can make something out of nothing before you even know what's going on, and his hips going one way and his release is going the other way. The thing about Mahomes is, and he reminds me a little bit of John Elway in this re- regard, Every receiver on the field is a threat 
when Pat Mahomes has the ball in his hand. That's the threat Pat Mahomes gives everybody else is he's just scary because he he can throw it anywhere, anytime to any receiver. You know, and knock on wood for all these teams, but you know, you know what I notice with all these injuries in the NFL is none of them are the quarterbacks, you know, and part of this is because of the rules. But these guys also just the really good ones know how to play. I mean, Russell Wilson has stuff flying around him all the time. It's like he's in the middle of a barroom brawl and he's the only guy not getting hit. You know, it's just, it's really, really uh, amazing. So, And he's strong enough now to where he's done enough to his body to add yeah. some added weight and bulk to where he can take the arm tackles and take a little bit of a beating. The guy I think about with that is um, Kyler Murray in, in uh, Arizona because yep. he's such a small guy. But you ever see anybody hit him? I don't. I don't see anybody hit him ever. And know? he's running more too, yes, just from all what the I've time. seen. And that's yep. if he has that. Wow, look out! Yep. I mean, this is a great division for for no uh, for quarterbacks, which <laughs> is a nice little segue because I wrote my column uh, today, the pick six column uh, this week on the Rams and Eagles, and just specifically I, breaking a couple of myths. You know, I I made laid out the case of why I would rather be the Rams and the Eagles right now. And not just because it's 2-0 and and 0-2, and but I think in the bigger picture, people have thought the Rams are pretty much tapped out, right? I mean, they've signed all these guys. They've done a couple bad moves. They've traded away picks. What do they have? And when I looked at it, they've got more than the Eagles do. They've done a nice job with a lot of second and third round picks, filling the void from not having ones, having some incredible impact players like, like Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey who are probably the best players in the league at their position. Certainly Donald is. Uh, I think on his best day, Ramsey is. Um, and DK Metcalf may, may have something to say about that after going against Gilmore uh, last night. But this is an interesting conversation because really when we're evaluating the Rams and the Eagles, we're evaluating a lot of things, the head coach and the quarterback combination. What the hell's up with Wentz? I mean, I, this guy was seen as better than Goff. Maybe he is. Yep. Doesn't seem to play that way. What's going on? What yeah. do you see? No, I, I agree with you. I think your um, pick six column enlightened me on a lot of things, and I commend you on it. Uh, it was very well written and, and very educational for even those of us on the inside. Um, I think you're right. It needs to be evaluated, not necessarily these guys need to be evaluated, not really in a in a closed vacuum, but all the other ingredients on the outside. When you're talking about Wentz, you've also got to consider the surrounding cast. You've got to consider Peterson and where he's at. And I think you mentioned the miss to me uh, a couple weeks back. When you talk about Wentz, I'm not sure he's ever gotten that piano off his back for he wasn't the one to win the Super Bowl in Philadelphia. So yeah. there's an issue there that kind of goes untalked about for the most part. But I think that's a pressure point for him. Um, I think he has developed because of the lack of people around him and the lack of talent around him. And maybe some of that be, you can blame on injuries to the other people. But I think the fact that he kind of has felt like he's had to be Superman to make any and every play. Um, he holds the ball too long now. He's just not as confident. And I think that's one of the things that we talked about with Russell Wilson was the fact that he's such a fundamentalist. He throws the ball on time. His footwork is good. Those were all things Wentz did great his first couple years, and he's gotten away from that. The footwork isn't there anymore. The timing isn't there. The confidence isn't there. The system really has kind of let him down a little bit. And then I don't think they've had many weapons around him either. I don't see, I don't, I'm not a big believer in the Eagles receivers, so to speak. Um, Couple Ashon. tight ends, yeah. A couple, couple tight ends are fine, but those guys can't be the focal point of your offense. You're you're going to be a dink and dunk team for the most part, and that's not a slam against tight ends. It's just the way it is. The perimeter guys need to be able to stretch the field better. They haven't had that from their group, so I think Wentz is lacking in a lot of areas that aren't his fault, and it's just kind of snowballed into the fact that he's nothing like he was a couple years ago. 
Yeah, so you might be with me that you'd rather be the Rams than the Eagles right now. Well, I would, especially after reading your column, because I, like most, on the surface, thought the Rams have uh, kind of gone wayward with their cap. They've given a lot of money to certain people. But the the ski, the schematic that you put up with top 15 players cap-wise versus top 15 players cap-wise on the Eagles sold me because, you know, we kind of joked about, hey, let's have a draft. And I always said, well, let's put the head coaches in the draft too. So if we're going to draft those two teams off of that chart, you're probably going to have the first four or five picks all come from the side of the Rams, in oh, my yeah. opinion, anyway. Yeah, so when I look at the top 15 for each guys, I mean, I think with when you look at the quarterbacks, we put those off to the side, and, we, and it's sort of a package deal with the head coaches. But mm-hmm. but you would probably, if the head coach was in it, you, you would take Sean McVay. I mean, he, he might be your first pick. I would take Goff if, if, uh, if it meant I got Sean McVay. Yeah, but if that you, answers your point. Off, yeah, off the top though, you would take McVeigh would probably be the first yes. pick. Yes, I think he's the difference maker for either franchise, just in terms of his, you know, ability to communicate, his scheming. Yep. He he seems like the right guy for the job. Yep. I would probably have Aaron Donald, maybe. I yep. mean, no Jaylen doubt Ram- for me, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent him. Yep. Uh, Jalen Ramsey be next. I mean, a twenty-five year old corner who has Hall of Fame talent and potential. Yep. You start going through it, you know, you may at a certain point work in a Fletcher Cox. Maybe, uh, but I'm maybe. not so sure Brockers doesn't fit in there either. And I think Brockers is is always thought about as an afterthought. But gosh, when he played against Dallas the other day, he was dominating inside. And I see a combination of him and Donald that I'd rather have over probably any of the defensive linemen from, from Philly. Cox has been that guy, has been dominant. Is he now? You know, and you start yeah. looking at Darius Slay. I mean, he's probably on the downside of, mm-hmm. of things. Um, Brandon Brooks, Brandon Graham, Alshon Jeffrey, of course not. Those are Eagle guys. Isn't Robert Woods the best receiver of the bunch, probably? Yeah, I mean, do you, do you like him better than you like Cup? I mean, but... Well, yeah, one of those guys. I mean, you could take both those guys. I would have both those guys over any of the Eagles guys, to be honest yeah. with you. Now, you might take Jalen Rieger, you know, the first-round pick who hasn't time will played. Tell. But, yeah, time but, will but tell. Time will tell. But, I mean, if we're going to go win this year, I mean, yeah. I, I think you can see right there we're leaning towards the Rams' side. <laughs> and I think people people think the coverage is a little bare there on the Rams because they've, they've made trades and this and that, and it's a very top-heavy roster, and it is. But you start filling in with uh, some of the depth they've got. Um, and I think it's clearly um, a better situation, which is a little bit alarming from an Eagles fan perspective. I mean, they had the oldest starting lineup in the NFL in week one. I took the quarterbacks out of that, but that's it's not good to be old and bad. You know, if you're no. going to be old, you better be good. <laughs> the alarming thing to me also about the Eagles is that I just haven't seen the the um, specific plan in identifying uh, identifying and acquiring players that fit with the scheme that they're doing. It always it seems like it's a little bit of a grab bag for them to add talent. I don't see any th- consistent um, type of player that they're looking for, at least in the Rams case, and you brought it up, the second and third and fourth round picks that they've drafted, they have significant roles within their own team. And I think they have pinpointed those guys to fit specific schemes of their offense per se with the tight ends or even a little bit on defense with those defensive front seven guys. So I think the fits that they've chosen in those mid rounds put them above what the Eagles have done with their say second and third round picks as well. Yeah. And when, you know, sometimes when you have success or win the Super Bowl, you know, you try to keep things together and you end up, uh, you know, bolting on some parts here or there. And I think the Rams actually have, you know, made a couple mistakes, but they've they've moved on from them. You know, whether it was Todd Gurley, whether it was Brandon Cooks. I mean, look, we, those aren't going to 
Liss needs not putting those on his resume and saying, I'm really proud of those moves. But you've moved on and done other moves that you are proud of that have made your team better. They're 2-0 and uh, in a very tough division. Heck, if they were in the NFC East, I think they might win it running away, you know, at the Rams. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think yeah. the other thing that bothered me a little bit with the Eagles is I think they, you, you know, we talk about the Rams and how they valued their own guys and guys they brought in. The Eagles, to me, have overvalued their own guys. They've kind of overpaid some of the things that got them to that Super Bowl, like you said. And so they're paying for past. And I don't think you can do that with the cap and the way it's set up nowadays. Yeah, yeah. So that will be a very interesting thing to see in Philly. And I think they're happy there's not fans at the games for a while. Um, (laughs) That probably makes it easier. But they could probably still hear the boos from outside the stadium. We'll see if they can get a win. Uh, they actually play uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, which just dovetails into our. Yeah. We got these segues figured out. We're going to be pretty dang good. But we got the Eagles are playing the Bengals, and you know Joe Burrow's performance on Thursday night uh, in the loss to the Browns sort of went by the boards because so much stuff happened over the weekend, and you start thinking of other things. But I know we had some conversations about wow, you know, uh, what you see in Joe Burrow, and we want to talk about you know, what this means for the Bengal organization, because all organizations in the league are not the same. They're not all trying to do the same things. They're not all taking in as much information as possible. They're not all, you know, charting a course into the future. Some of them are stuck in the past. First off, though, what do you see from Burrow? And how do you know when you watch a guy, limited reps, that you're in love, that, that yeah. this is real, that this is, uh, you know, you know what I mean? That this is you're a ready real to guy. get married right now. This huh? is our, yeah, this is yeah. a real guy right now versus, <laughs> you know, you see some of these quarterback, you know, re- organization relationships are dating and the guy doesn't really ever buy the ring. <laughs> and then when he does, Deck they don't Prescott really, or, yeah. they, they don't <laughs> set a date, you know, yeah. Yeah. uh, what do you see? What do you think? Well, Burl. And, and this is unlike me, Mike, to say this, but I think it was about a game and a half in, halftime of the Thursday night game, and I found myself saying, gosh, this guy's already their best player. He's already the best player on the field that they have, and I've seen him for a game and a half, you know, so it <laughs> didn't take long. Just some bad stuff about the roster. Yeah, maybe too. <laughs> and which we'll get to. I mean, that, that's that's the scary part about it, but for me, this guy just gave me the feeling that forget how old he is, forget where he's at experience-wise. He just gave me the feeling that he kind of knows where to go with the ball already. Nothing's bothering him. The, the, the pocket in the NFL is not for everybody. I'll be the first to tell you. It's not. Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay. Some guys, it's just not for them. The pocket looks like it's for Joe Burrow. And that's kind of an exciting thing. He was comfortable in there. He was, for a young guy, uh, not jostled around by a pass rush. I mean, the noise... Didn't bother him at all. I love that part of it. He kind of brought his team back late in the game by grit and by grind. And and because he doesn't have a lot of weapons, like I said, and we'll get to that. But I felt like he had sold me by the end of the maybe the third quarter of that game that, gosh, the, the good news was that Cincinnati may have stumbled onto something here. And I don't know if about stumbling onto the first pick, but I can't credit him for getting the first pick because all they did was lose more games than anybody the year before. So yeah, I, I do think that, that he is going to remove the doubt of a position that is the hardest to solve in the Rubik's Cube of NFL team building. Yeah, there's a couple directions to go off that for me. One of them is when they hired Zach Taylor, who was a Sean McVay guy, right? Which is a kind of a joke when people try to get the next guy because it's really about Sean McVay. It's not about 
<laughs> you can't transfer his personality and his charisma and all that. You just take a couple pages from his playbook and hope it hope it takes. But Zach Taylor comes in, and they had Joe Mixon as a good back. AJ Green's a name receiver. You know, they had I think they have Tyler Boyd. They drafted drafted John Ross. So some pieces in place. But I know from talking to you, those guys aren't good. Yeah, I just, what, uh, what do you see that's around them, and what pressure does having Burrow put on the organization to be better than this? Yeah, I think it's one of those things where be careful what you wish for. You know, Cincinnati's been kind of a sleepy Midwestern, uh, non-relevant franchise, really, in the NFL for the last 10 years. I know they made a couple playoff spots, uh, runs with uh, uh, Marvin Lewis, but they never won a game. They never really put the spotlight on themselves. But I think yep. a talent like Joe Burrow can do exactly that. He'll put the spotlight on them, and he'll and the rest of the organization is going to have to find a way to put up and grow with him because uh, this, the the downside to what I saw in that game Thursday night was their roster doesn't hold up. And in fact, it didn't hold up on that night against the Cleveland Browns. You know, they, they don't have the playmakers. They don't have the core players. They don't have the talent the Cleveland Browns had. And that showed. And the fact that Joe Burrow kept them in the game as long as he did. And, and I'm with you on Mixon. Mixon's a really good player, but I don't see the receivers. I think AJ Green is past his point. Um, I don't think the Boyd kid is up to, uh, playmaking status that's going to make everybody better I just I kind of wonder what they've done the last five or six years in that I just don't see enough guys you know sometimes when you take over a new organization or a new franchise you say man we just don't have enough guys we got to find some guys well this same group has been in charge in, in Cincinnati same owners same everything and I wonder gosh what have they been doing there's just not enough guys here so they're going to have to one either change the process by how they identify players be more aggressive. There's a lot of things they can do. They just haven't been willing to do that. But I don't think now with Joe Burrow there and his status on the rise, they're going to be able to operate like they have in the past and and just say, okay, if we can win eight or nine games, we'll be all right. I think the, 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 the price to play in the poker game has just gone up for them. Uh, and it's really because of this quarterback. So last time they had this, it was Carson Palmer, number one pick out of USC, yep. really talented. You talk about a guy who can throw a football. Um, and he, by after a few years, he was forcing yeah. his way out of there. He couldn't got, take it anymore. Got so tired of the place and of losing that he pulled uh, in Dockway uh, in Jacksonville or, or however you want to Ramsey, say it. But yes, you know? yeah, yeah, Ramsey. He wanted out, and and Carson Palmer got out of there. You know, and, and you'd hope this doesn't happen to Joe Burrow because he's a local guy. He's an Ohio born and raised. I mean, gosh, that would be sad. But it's definitely going to put the pressure on them to change some things and. And they have resisted change. They're not doing it. I mean, yeah. The, I, when you look at the teams that have drafted number one quarterbacks, okay, so Arizona gets Kyler Murray. Well, they make a move for DeAndre Hopkins. Yep. The Rams take Goff number one overall. They're always in the mix for a Sammy Watkins or a Brandon Cooks. They got Cup. They got Woods. They're trying. Mm -hmm. um, Mayfield, even the Browns, who are not a good organization, haven't been. Uh, you know, they get Jarvis Landry a few months before they draft uh, Mayfield. They bring on OBJ, right? I mean, you can criticize whether the culture fit or this or that, but they're trying to get guys for their quarterback, right? The Jets get Darnold and do nothing. Where where are they at? Yeah. No, you know, I the, hear Tex you. Yeah, the Texans actually subtract DeAndre Hopkins from their guy, and he's struggling. You know, he, he's <laughs> having a hard time. I mean, winning win the game. It's hard to win the game. Uh, when I look at the Bengals— Last 10 years, they've acquired Reggie Nelson, Taylor Mays, Kelly Jennings, Cordy Lenz, at least a left tackle. But, you know, I think people think that these organizations are are 
that there's 32 teams, but there's really there's really not. They're, they don't all operate in the same world. What's an example of how a team like the Bengals does business, and why is it so? Why is it that way? Just from scouting the whole operation, information, everything. Yeah, I just I think when I when I think about the Bengals, I think of missed missed taking advantage of the way the rules are set up. You know, this is a team that seldom makes a trade of any kind like you mentioned they they don't really spend in the free agent market and 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 bring in the volume of players to give them enough you know adding one guy here or there isn't going to be enough to put you over the edge but that's always been their philosophy i remember in many of calls that i would make as a gm um, let me just say this paul allen the owner of the seahawks uh, rest in peace. Uh, he, one thing he told me from the first day he bought the Seahawks when I was in charge there was, hey, I want to be in the middle of every deal. He doesn't mean we want to make every deal, but he said, I want to be in the middle of every deal, which really uh, melded good with the way I operated anyway, because I wanted to be aggressive. I, I work the phones. I want to know every deal that's going to be in there that we have a chance to make. And we can always decide to say no at the end, but gather the information and get us in a position to say no. Those were his words of wisdom to me. And I, I've tried to use that as much as I can. The Bengals are one of those teams that they never take advantage of that. I remember calling them several times about different moves at the end of preseason or moves at the trade deadline. And the response was always the same. We like our team. I can't see us making any change. I almost felt like any player that was offered to them in a trade, they felt like they would just be taking on somebody else's problems. So they never would consider it. Pros, cons didn't really matter. They just didn't want to add anybody else's problems when the truth be known, it wasn't problems you were trying to get rid of. You're trying to give to get, you know, that's part of getting better as a team, but they just have never been one to to want to do this. And, and that's concerning in this day and age, because I think the rules are set up where it's easier now than ever before to turn your team around from a average NFL roster to a really good NFL roster. There's so many ways to get players now, whether it's trades, free agency, cap casualties, all kinds of stuff. You can be very aggressive in acquiring players. If you have a criteria for what you're looking for and a scheme that it fits, that's the bottom line. And, and they just haven't done that. Oh, yeah. You'll see GMs come in and just churn and just keep working it and keep working it and, yeah. and always working the bottom of your roster and yep. in the middle of trades. And so they don't always work out, but you're, you're trying. You're trying to get better or, or else you're not going to get better. It's almost a miracle that they were as competitive as they were there for a while, 2014, 15, 16. Uh, never did go over the top. Now they have the quarterback who can get them there. And it's all smiles now for, and, you know, he's handled it great. Uh, but what happens for if, now? Yeah. Yeah. You know, like this offseason, you look at their moves, they spent more on defense. They're, they're signing Trey Waynes, you know, and moves like right. that. I mean, th- those aren't the <laughs> types of moves that are going to uh, put you over the top when you got, you know, Minnesota's trying to get rid of corners and look at what Minnesota's at at corner right now. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, they can't even defend the pass. So right. um, that is going to be a huge, a huge one to watch uh, there for Cincinnati because this is potentially a real star in the making. And, you don't want to squander that, but if anybody will, maybe it's it's them just based on the track record, not being able to to to, to get over the hump. Randy, I mentioned at the top that uh, you know you made millions of dollars with your <laughs> you know with your pick on uh, of the of the Dolphins. You took I think the five and a half points, and I just want to personally thank the Dolphins for fighting so hard to the end. I was tearing up just with the courage they were showing in <laughs> winging that ball around with Ryan Fitzpatrick to get it to get it close in the end against Buffalo. I've got a few games I might like 
Might. Uh, I hear a week. might. I hear some hesitation well, there. I was, on, I was terrible on. last week because I liked <laughs> the Rams to win. Uh, yeah. There was another one I liked, and they came through, but I didn't say anything. I mean, yeah. so I'm, I'm going to come yeah. out of my shell, but you go That's because you've been around the NFL too long. You understand uh, it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, know. I know if it was that easy, I'd be doing it. But, yep. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's a difference between trying to pick all the games like my yes. good friend Shil Kapadia does. He does it every week, and he went 12-4 and four out of week one. I got to see what he did this week. But, <laughs> but uh, if you pick all of them, I think you're going to end up being – 500 if you're lucky, right? Um, right? No doubt. What are some that stand out to you? Or do you have any this week? I, I've got a couple. Well, the only reason that I've even ventured into these waters, I think, is because that Vegas has learned just at the same pace we have about teams this year. In the past, with preseason games and all the information that was out there, Vegas could set lines that when the season started, they were right on. I just feel like they may have wandered a little bit the first couple of weeks and maybe yep. we get a third week out of that but that's just my feeling i've always thought that college football uh was much the same you could uh find a line to fit anything in college football in years past now the nfl is being bet and handicapped just like a college season would because no nfl i mean hey, no and by way. the way you know randy's not going to say this being the humble guy that he is but i've checked the timestamps on on mueller football.com and he's seven and zero against the spread in the first two weeks so i'm going to check that again and make sure that we're not going back and adding those in but that's pretty dang impressive who you got this week, week well, three. yeah we don't want to turn it into a gambling show but uh, hey you got to hey. do what you got to do you know I, I i went through the picks this morning and I, i'll be honest i wasn't feeling the same kind of uh momentum that has got me here but it's hard to turn down a home dog and i think minnesota is a desperate team Minnesota has been maligned. They've struggled these first two weeks. Um, I like them at home, getting two and a half points. Tennessee's coming in there. Tennessee's the favorite. I just think Minnesota can't be much worse than they were. Kirk Cousins can't be any worse, right? I mean, his numbers were crazy bad. And I I like them this weekend. Here's the thing, though. I feel like the home field, what does it mean right now? I know the travel thing, but like watching that game last night, I think Seattle, watching that game Sunday night, I think Seattle might have won by two touchdowns if Cam Newton had to deal with the edge and the get off and worried about the guys coming and, and is the left tackle looking back halfway and all of that. So right. I wonder if some of these teams that are going on there, it's funny that you said that. So the three that stand up to me are actually teams going on the road. So Carolina getting seven points going at the chargers. I'm just not sure the chargers can score now. Right. Uh, maybe they, if they stick with Justin Herbert, maybe I actually feel better about them. I, I don't know the status of, of, uh, yeah, it sounds like that's up in the air. Who knows? I heard the coach say after the game last night at the uh, ridiculous. Uh, yeah, Tyrod Taylor's our starter. So I don't yeah, know. <laughs> you know, after watching Herbert, I think I want to look at Tyrod Taylor a few games. You know, that, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's going to be the future. Come on, come on, yeah. Chargers! But I might go with them. I think the Panthers, even without McCaffrey, I mean they've they've thrown the ball around for for some yards, and I think it could be one of those low scoring games, kind of like uh, you know we had in the we we had in in the first game of the year for the Chargers barely beating Cincinnati. Right. Um, I don't mind the Packers getting three and a half going to the Saints. Uh, I don't think it was a real good showing out of the gates by the Saints. Michael Thomas is hurt. Now, Devontae Adams is banged up too. But I just think Rodgers is so far ahead of Drew Brees in terms of just being able to go out there and put it on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're seeing that a little bit in these first couple games that – that's a, that's a pretty good Green Bay team the first two weeks. Yeah. I thought there was going to be some regression from them. Uh, you know, they were 13-3, and three, but didn't really outscore people by a lot. Wasn't really a, overly impressed by the scheming that Lafleur did. But I think, I bet, I think I'm more impressed now. I feel like they've gotten some mismatches more. And, yeah. and don't you feel like that's a good team? But clearly well, think, the best team yeah. in the North. You would definitely have to feel better about them 
this year than you did at this point last year. That's for sure. And like you say, even at thirteen and three, uh, everybody had their questions. But I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. One of the other games that I really liked in this case is just about matchups to me. And I agree with you on the home field advantage. Other than just the the feel, the familiarity, yeah. and the travel itself, it's not the same. But I like Pittsburgh at home, even though they have to give three and a half to the Texans. I just think Pittsburgh's three four defense and the way they match up and pressure the passer. I think that's going to be a lot for Deshaun Watson to have to deal with. I think his his main target now, Will Fuller, is hurt again. He's got a hamstring that's been bothering him. I just don't know where he ends up going with the ball when he's under the gun. And he's going to be under the gun in Pittsburgh with that scheming defense that they have and the pass rushers that they have. So I kind of like Pittsburgh in that one. And like I said, I like the Minnesota team, uh, the Vikings, even though uh, they're getting two and a half points. Did DeAndre Hopkins get to do the schedule for the Texans this year? I mean, they go <laughs> Kansas City, yeah. Baltimore, Pittsburgh. Bad I mean that that yeah. that is brutal. Yeah, bad brutal. And those are those are non division games. It's not like you they're like, hey, we're playing someone in our division. Yeah, you, and you just get yeah. slaughtered out of the gates. And it's kind of a in in a in a cloud of doubt anyway, right? Because everybody's trying to doubt them. Everybody yeah. doubts the GM, the head coach. Does he really know what he's doing? Uh, we've lost two games already. You know, there's just a bunch of doubt there as it is. Man. They may end up being a pretty good team and be one and four. You know. Yeah. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. All right, our our final segment, Ask the GM. It's time for Ask the GM. We talk about BPA. That's really fancy scout lingo for best player available. We talk about BPA versus greatest need when drafting. But one size doesn't always fit all. Can you give an example of when you went best player available and it paid off? And when, maybe another time when you did it and it burned you. I think that's an interesting one. We always hear that. And yet... Most of the mock drafts are always look straightly according to need, you know. <laughs> uh, what's a good example of that for you, and what do you think? Well, I've been a part of, of all ends of this spectrum, that's for sure. And, <laughs> and he's right. Uh, in, in in most cases, you, you would hope you can get the best available player. I'll say this. The best drafts I've ever been a part of are the ones where – the best available player is also at your position of need. That happened yep. to us a few times in Seattle and actually allowed us to get uh, Sean Springs and Walter Jones in the same draft. Two dire needs for us, and, and that's probably the most uh, lucky I've been that guys fell in our lap at positions of need for sure. But I've also been a part of places where they draft and, and pass over card after card to fill needs starting in the first round. And that carries into round three and four. And I find what you end up doing is you've filled out your depth chart, but you've bypassed a lot of really good players and players that can develop into starters because you were were worried about filling out your depth chart this year. So I have never been one for drafting for need. I don't really believe in that at all. And it's a frustrating spot to be in when you see it happening all the time. That's for sure. Drafting need um, is great. 
but you cannot pass good players in my opinion in my opinion great players to get to that point that's a fine line and and one that gms in this league i think struggle with every year because they they i mean you know you talk to them all the time they they struggle with uh, assessing their own team for starters. Yep. And so the needs they have might not be the same need that you or I come up with. Yep, absolutely. And so I'm going to put you on the spot, though. You said you've been part of where you went for need. Can you? We can cut this part out if we end up not using it. But, I mean, can you, can you think of a time when that happened? Uh, was there one that came to mind? Well, it, it actually happened in San Diego the year before I got there. Um, I, I was actually on my way from the Dolphins to the Chargers, and they were going to draft a corner come hell or high water. It didn't matter when or how. Um, and they ended up drafting a corner, but he was the fifth corner in that draft. And they felt they were one player away, and it was a starting corner to go into the Super Bowl. Well, that player was really about a third-round pick, and yeah. it just didn't work to where he was ever. It wasn't fair to the kid because he wasn't a first-round pick. It wasn't fair to the team because he didn't really fill that role. He was a nickel player at best, and it just didn't work out for anybody involved. So, But it filled a need, and like I said, it filled out uh, the depth chart um, of somebody's that, that they just felt like uh, there was a big void of. So. You know, I don't know. I just never have been a fan of drafting for need. And that even goes into later rounds as well. I want to take the best player as often as we can. I just think you stand to build the depth on your roster better. If you just draft for need, you end up with a whole bunch of guys who who um, are fourth and fifth round picks, but they're not good players. Your depth yeah. is lacking in athleticism, speed, all the above. Did you ever get into like a tussle in the draft room when the coach wanted to have, uh, you know, need filled or, you know, you ever go toe to toe with somebody or see that, you know, uh, yeah. happen where or is it that over dramatized in the movie? <laughs> I think you can actually manipulate the process a little bit to do that. In other words, you'll never have that discussion on draft day because yeah. that, that, the hay's in the barn at that point. But while while assessing and while you're working on the process, you have obviously have needs. And you can stack the board to where those needs come up at the ideal time so you can discuss it. You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Oh, so yeah. There's, yeah, there's ways that's, to... to yeah. Then the GM comes into the press room and goes, it's just amazing how yeah. all of the needs <laughs> lined up with our value. Yeah. Is that, oh, really? Is that because you changed your board at the oh, end to no. make it Nobody look that Nobody would way? do that. Nobody That's would do totally that. That's totally what happens. <laughs> hey, it's a process, Mike, and we, some of us are better at it than others. It takes a while to get there, but you definitely hey. want to build to a consensus. And if you can make a lot of people happy, the consensus is higher. That's for sure. Hey, anyone who can take Sean Springs and Walter Jones, uh, including one of them with a pick acquired for Rick Meyer, uh, gets my vote. I'll trust you all the way, Randy. Our time is up. We can talk forever. This is fun. Uh, again, Mike Sando here at Sando NFL with Randy Mueller, the GM, at Randy Mueller underscore. Let's do it again next week. Sounds good, Mike. Looking forward to it. 